Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lucky Doll Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com, photo, video, digital media production. Today we are discussing the legend of Korra. The legend of Korra, also known as Avatar, the legend of Korra, is an American animated television series created by Brian Canaschio and Michael Dante DeMontino for Nickelodeon, a sequel to their previous series, Avatar, The Last Airbender, which aired from 2005 to 2008. The series is animated in a style strongly influenced by anime. The Legend of Korra ran for about 52 episodes, or chapters, separated into four seasons, or books, from April 14, 2012 to December 19, 2014, and has been continued as a comic series. So I just wanted to get my first, uh, you know, thoughts down about finishing this last uh, episode of the first season of episode of Korra. I'll talk about it real quickly in a spoiler-free section for anybody that has no idea what I'm talking about. Legend of Korra, basically the show that came after Avatar, The Last Airbender. I was like, I wasn't sure if I should go back and watch these children's shows originally, and I was like, eh, you know, Nickelodeon, eh, I don't know if it's going to have that, uh, you know, the the art style, I don't know if it's going to have the story, I don't know if it's going to have the stuff that is going to really engage an, uh, an adult, or just somebody that is looking for um, something other than um, live action, just looking for some sort of, uh, you know, animation. So, um, Avatar, The Last Airbender, and The Legend of Korra became available on Netflix within the last summer, over the uh, COVID summer, um, I guess is what we'll call it. Um, and so I was like, I want to get into this. I want to get lost into this world because I've only heard good things about it. So I finished all of Avatar, the last airbender series. You go back and check those podcasts out for those, uh, what I was thinking about those seasons. Basically they get better with each season. I thought that Avatar, the last airbender was originally geared for television for uh, uh, as a kids television t- series but to be honest it's so much more than that and it's not talking down to kids at all i mean it definitely has uh you know some comedy bits that definitely are geared for kids but overall i was extremely pleased with how avatar the last airbender essentially doesn't waste uh an episode and I'm even thinking about it, wanting to go back and revisit the world. So what, I I mean, there's so much to watch, so many different television shows to watch. I was like, I don't have time to do that. So instead of that, I just went ahead and jumped straight into The Legend of Korra. And so I went ahead, plowed through the first season of Korra, and I'll talk about it real quickly in um, season... Um, what I thought about as a full season. Well, just to kind of gear you in the world, um, The Legend of Korra, first of all, the reason they didn't actually call Avatar The Legend of Korra, they didn't want to use the word Avatar, I think because of 
the Avatar: The Last Airbender, the movie, the M Night Shyamalan movie, for one, for for better or for worse, I think they wanted to disassociate the <laughs> their brand a little bit because of how uh, horrible the reception was of that movie. Again, I have not seen that movie yet, so I'm trying to not taint my experience of the Avatar world. Again, this is an adult podcast, so there will be cursing and whatnot, so don't be surprised if I'm throwing out the F-bombs or whatnot. So uh, just wanted to put point that out there. Let me say up front this is not going to be a very detailed podcast i didn't take uh strong notes like i do a lot of my podcasts i've had some stuff going on behind the scenes so i just kind of wanted to plow through it and kind of get this first season under my belt just to kind of understand what this uh world was like and i kind of got uh what this entire first season's about so this uh this first season is revolving the character of Korra, who is basically a reincarnation of Aang, the character in the Avatar The Last Airbender series. And um, without going into too much spoiler territory stuff, there are loose connections to the Avatar The Last Airbender series. Some closer connections than not. When I say that, I mean like there will be descendants, grandparents and stuff um, and grandkids that are related from the Avatar The Last Airbender series that are shown in The Legend of Korra. So I don't want to, you know, like I said, I don't want to sh- uh, spoil too many um, surprises in case you have not watched the series yet. I will say it was exciting to get to see some of your old, uh, some of the older characters or, you know, the classic characters from the original Avatar series. But alongside that we do have some very interesting um characters that they have uh brought into focus now so the main character of Korra is voiced by um Janet Varney we have Tenzin who is the one of the sons of Aang and He's voiced by J.K. Simmons. Like, holy shit, they got a big ass, some big names in this. Um, Lynn Beifong is um, voiced by Mindy Sterling. You'd probably recognize uh, Mindy Sterling's face um, from the Austin Powers series. And she's you no, know, she, you know, she's always she's the one yelling in in Austin, the Austin Powers uh, uh, Doctor Evil rooms and stuff like that. So she plays uh, Toff's granddaughter and. Um, and then we have uh, Stephen Blom as the antagonist, and we, we can we can continue on for days with all these uh, amazing actors and um, voice actors. I'll kind of go into it a little bit more as we talk about it, and I'll probably talk a little bit more about it in season two as well um, for the podcast on there. I'll be a little bit more detailed and try to take a little bit more better notes on it. But overall, I will just say I really enjoy how um, how. The Legend of Korra has this grand, epic scope to it. Now, the first few episodes, I was like, whoa, this is a lot of information. Korra, this character, she's about what seems approximately a century away from her previous uh, protagonist, Aang. And there seems to be a lot of progression that has happened in in, in the world, and I love how they've shown how the element bending 
has become more influenced within the culture and the revolution. And so there's kind of this big steampunk vibe that's been um, infused in in the last, I'd say the last couple, uh, the last couple seasons of the last Avatar. Uh, sorry, the the Avatar: The Last Airbender. The last couple seasons of that had this big steampunk vibe with the antagonists, and it's kind of flooded into this season, uh, ser- series of Korra. And so, um, I'm really digging the uh, style and the aesthetic that I'm getting with Korra. I love the new, um, uh, the new sounds and the new. Uh, uh, like themes that they have for Korra and the side characters as well. Um, but yeah, we, we are also introduced to um, these new characters, Mako and Bolin, voiced by David Faustino and PJ Byron. I don't really know David Faustino too much, but I do know PJ Byron, uh from the Wolf of Wall Street, he's one of the kind of squirrely kind of guys, you know, on there. I don't, I, um, that follows Leo around. So, um, yeah, just like any teenage, um, you know, romance, uh, 16 candles kind of thing, or I don't even know if I'm even saying it right, but, you know, uh, there's always going to be some some teenage drama kind of thing going on, and so just like any other uh, Avatar series, there is a little bit of drama that happens within the Legend of Korra. And I will say that the Legend of Korra takes a few episodes to kind of get its footing into kind of figuring out where the season's going to go. But I will say around episode five or six, the dominoes begin to fall, and you realize, oh my gosh, you know. There's only about six episodes left, and each episode feels almost imperative as the last. I mean, there's not a wasted minute on screen, and I was just like, this is excellent. And I think it was by episode 10, I was like, I gotta go, go, go. I need to go, go, go. I need to watch more. I gotta watch more. And I uh, actually turned on the dynamic brightness on the 4K television. I apparently had to just on a normal setting and it felt like it was blasting the contrast, the cinematography of the action, the brightness, the the contrast, all of it blasting straight into my eyeballs and uh like I felt like I could feel I could feel the uh the brilliance coming off of the screen because it was an absolute feast to watch. I was just like the action, the story. I was like, this is like, got me on pins and needles. This is what I'm talking about. I'm, this is the kind of, uh, story that had me, you know, loving avatar, the last airbender originally, like its predecessor, the, um, the legend of Korra received, critical acclaim drawing favorable comparisons with the HBO series Game of Thrones and the works of Hayao Miyazaki. The series has been praised for its writing and production values and has been nominated for and won awards such as the Annie Awards and Daytime Emmy Awards and Gracie Awards. The series also praised for addressing social political issues such as social unrest and terrorism, as well as going beyond the established boundaries of youth entertainment with respect 
to issues of race, gender, and sexual orientation. I was just blown away by the different aspects of this show that are continuously, I don't want to say just like pushing the limits, but I mean, they, they essentially are pushing the limits of, I don't want to, it's not just youth television because I feel like there is a chunk of the youth that is just watching this for the spectacle. Okay. When's the next fight? When's the next thing? But if you're of a certain, certain age watching it, you are probably retaining much more of a, a, a deeper message to it. And that's why I enjoy this Korra series. Um, I had like <clears throat> an emotional reaction at the end of the series. I was like, this is kind of moving, you know? Um, the fact that they are fighting an antagonist in this series that is all based about based upon removing elements from benders or, or removing bending from um, removing their ability to bend and so it's just like completely anti to everything that we were taught in Avatar because Avatar the, the Last Airbender we were following Aang, Sokka and Katara and it's all about learning the skills of bending and it felt so much more flowy as a as a series and when we get step into Korra, Korra feels much more brooding. It feels much more noir, lived in as a, a town and a series and <clears throat> detailed backgrounds, just drawings and um, worlds that feel lived in. It's this Republic City that we were introduced to in this first um, episode, absolutely amazing to, to look at. And I'm still kind of learning about the different types of animation that I'm looking at. I uh, I, I might have called uh, Avatar The Last Airbender an anime on accident. Apparently, anime is a, a strictly a Japanese term. I'm, I'm, I'm still learning. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's strictly... Yeah, I think I think that's what it is, but I, I, I don't know. I, I need to might need a, a, prof a professional on that. But anyways... Um, there's different parts of this animation that happen within the Legend of Korra. It's this 2D animation meets this like CG animation, and apparently the like the cars and the moving machines and stuff like that that's like CG, and then it's facing the drawings of like Korra or Tenzin or something like that, and it it does almost look like two different styles colliding in a very cool visual way. I remember the first time I noticed that. I actually saw like a 2D CGI rendering kind of collaboration. I want to say that I really noticed it with uh, the Archer television show recently because I just I I love the visual style of that, but I don't I don't exactly watch the show that often. But when I do see the the commercials or whatever of the show, they're always very aesthetically pleasing um, to me personally. I think I I just really like the. Uh, that kind of 50s aesthetic or something like that. It, this isn't quite a 50s aesthetic, but it does have like that, uh, like 19 or like, like late 1800 or mid 1800 steampunk feel kind of to it. And I, I really dig it. Um, and so the legend of Korra just kind of continues the world of the avatar, the last airbender, 
the Avatar The Last Airbender, I guess I'll try not to spoil too much from it, but I mean, we're going to have to talk about like descendants from Avatar The Last Airbender because they are, they are just, they are talked about or are prominent within the legend of Korra. It's just, you can't get around talking about that. So just, just know that going in, if you're just skipping Avatar The Last Airbender, that there will be uh, discussions about that, you know, from here on. So just want to point that out um so the um let me see the big thing about bending the elements and being able to manipulate the elements like uh you know water earth fire and air is that as a concept before watching the first avatar or core i was like this just sounds you know kind of dumb i don't know it's it would be cool to throw rocks it would be cool to you know do fireballs and stuff like that but i never saw like practicality with it and so avatar the last airbender with each season they kept getting more creative the the cre- uh the creative staff team the the writing all of that kept getting better with each season showing how more practical and how more detailed you could get with the the bending so the bending started uh you know branching off from not just being able to to move just being like a an earth bender they went from being an earth bender to branching off to being like a metal bender and that is just like one of the coolest things is they're like you know when you're bending an element you aren't just bending one thing you can bend multiple things when you uh, you know, search inside yourself and you understand that everything's made of something or yeah, I don't I don't exactly remember what the, the correlation was exactly, but essentially earthbenders can also bend metal occasionally or sometimes if they're if they're taught to. And same thing with fire, uh being able to bend uh lightning and stuff like that and water seems to be a branch off of being able to absorb water out of just thin air or uh you know objects and that's that's even shown um you know just think of all the different types of organisms that have water in them and essentially you have control of it so the possibilities for the creative staff seem to be almost endless and so Long story short, spoiler free, I will say The Legend of Korra is absolutely worth your time. They do kind of have this uh, few episodes where they're trying to kind of get into this. Uh, it's it's like this game, they uh, pro pro bending or something like that, I think it's called. And <clears throat> it's, it's a really detailed game. And I think they might spend maybe an episode uh two or you know one or two too much on it but that would be my only critique about this first season is that i was like all right this uh this is a pretty cool game but it's i I don't see how it's uh progressing the story and so once they get past the pro bending stuff it's fun to watch in my opinion but i don't think it progresses the story in in ways that i you know really think it benefited the entire series um that would be my only thing. So that's why I felt like there was an episode one, you know, one or two that probably could have just, it, we only needed one or one pro bending episode, I think. Um, 
but yeah, I, it, it kind of affected the pacing for me at the beginning. I was just like, all right, are we just going to watch pro bending for the entire season? What's, what's the deal? What's the pacing? Why should I care? And, you know, they really kicked me in the pants about episode six of why I should care. I was just like, okay, oh, oh we got a real threat, you know? And so, uh, Amon is not to be bucked with. I'll just tell you that. So let's uh, jump into spoilers and we'll talk a little bit more about The Legend of Korra Season 1 and spoilers. Hopefully this was uh, a good gearing of whether you would like to jump into The Legend of Korra. From a visual standpoint, it's absolutely spectacular. Um, get it on something, you know, put it on a 4K, put it on a 1080p, something, uh, whatever looks good on a, a really high-res monitor. And uh, make sure you get some something that sounds good as well. I noticed that the music is something that really punches, as, as well as the uh, sound effects and sound design. I really think, you know, when somebody gets uh, airbend to the to the face, or when they get uh, a rock thrown to the to the face, you wanna you wanna be able to feel the punch. You wanna feel the bend to the throat. You know what I'm saying? And so um, that that's that's my whole thing. Um, but yeah, uh, let's talk about this real quickly or within a decimated amount of time. I don't know how long it's going to take, but let's just do it in a little bit uh, about Legend of Korra Season 1 spoilers starting now. So in summary, I will say that The Legend of Korra has an excellent aesthetic, the design, the world building, the creature design. It's very much the next generation of Avatar, The Last Airbender. So, um, you know, from the sound, the look, amazing. Let's hop into the spoiler section right now. So right before we get into the spoiler section, I will... Just let everyone know, this is not going to be as detailed as a lot of the podcasts I do. Sometimes I have pretty detailed notes on specific scenes and things that I really liked. There were tons and tons of action scenes and uh, just really aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing to the eye scenes that I really loved in this show. I cannot nearly name all of them. So um, I am going to refer to another podcast that uh, was actually recorded back in 2012 it's the republic city dispatch podcast it is a podcast that basically breaks down each episode in about 20 to 30 minutes and they just talk about the episodes really enjoyed the recaps and uh they're they're pretty timeless for um um whether you're watching them you know way back whether you watched them way back then or uh, whether you're watching them today they are helpful for kind of gearing you where you are in the headspace. And so that's great for if you want a really good detailed podcast. I'm going to talk about this po- uh, this show real quickly in the spoiler section right now. And so um, just in a less detailed manner, I will say The Legend of Korra Season 1 as a whole was uh, was a lot of fun. The first few episodes... We're a little slow getting getting into the world. I think that's just me personally. In most seasons, trying to re-gear myself and how this uh, story is going to be told. I will say, um, this first season did not focus nearly on as much as 
uh, the training I thought we were going to have her in. She comes in as an avatar that knows just about three-fourths of the main elements. You know, fire, water, uh, fire, water, earth. And the entire season, she doesn't, uh, she's unable to airbend. And so right at the very end, when she is uh, fighting, um, not Tarluck, but Amon, it just, uh, it's like a breath of fresh air to see her um, hit that, you know, like hit the airbend. And so basically what I'm saying is um, the restrictions of her power levels um, made this series and made her character more relatable like yes she is supposed to be the most powerful bender but she's still young and she still doesn't have full control of her powers and when she's fighting Amon, Amon literally takes her bending away and it is horrifying to watch this happen throughout the series when it's first happening they kind of have this camera pan zoom in and it's like going in on the uh uh, on the person that's having their bending taken away. Uh, I think uh, uh, Lim Fong got her Toph's granddaughter, I believe. Uh, her daughter, I can't remember. I think it's her daughter. Yeah, her daughter um, uh, got her bending taken away and all of that. It, it was just a crazy season of having these uh, power struggles between Amon and then Tarlock, his brother. There's this whole... Uh, subsection of Tarlock, uh, uh, basically saying, you know, our father was uh, in the same council as Aang, or he was under, he was under fire back in Aang's days, and he was told essentially that, uh, you know, bloodbending is illegal and outlawed. Uh, I believe it was Katara that says that, uh, she outlaws it, and so yeah, like I said, I didn't take any notes on this, and so I, I don't have all the names, and I don't have the all the places, and the and I don't have all the details all down. But basically, what I'm saying is, uh, Aang had fought the father of Tarlock and Amon, and we found out through some backstory between Korra and Tarlock that uh, you know uh, they're brothers. Uh, Amon and Tarlock are brothers, and I was like, holy Santa Claus, and then there's this big backstory with how the father was an extremely abusive father, having them bloodbend animals, and it's kind of horrifying as a kid show to watch that, I was like, god dang, this is some next level, because um, this is spoilers for Avatar The Last Airbender as well, because the power sets bleed into each other, so I'm going to talk about that. I think it was third season, Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, Katara has to bloodbend a witch, I believe, at some point, and um, it it was it was absolutely horrifying to watch all of that happen, um, and it's just taking the idea of waterbending to the next level, because I believe when they're showing bloodbending at first, they're just showing how water can be taken from just like basically right out of thin air from organic objects and living organisms and stuff like that. And then it transitions to you can take water from somebody's, uh, you know, body and basically you're bending the water in their blood. And so it's causing them to move. And so we see Tarlox and Amon's father. I, I need to get that dude's name. Um, we, we see his, uh, their father bloodbend an entire city council and Aang at that time. And, uh, 
basically, long story short, Aang goes into the Avatar mode and goes and does the uh, the the trick where he removes his bending away, and so that's where the anger came from, in a way, from you know saying that there's too much that too much power with the avatars and and the bending and stuff like that although his sons also had the bending abilities as well and so the hate transferred all of the stuff that uh his beliefs transferred down to tarlock and amon um let me see if i can get uh let me see if i can get um, Yakon. Okay, that was that was his name. Okay, so, anyways, let me see what we got right here. Let me see what we got right here. Okay, so I actually did find the uh, entire synopsis for book one, season one, air. Let's go ahead and run down the. Uh, Overall uh, synopsis of it. Korra, now 17, and having mastered three of the elements, she needs to learn airbending from the only living airbending master, Aang's son, Tenzin, voiced by J.K. Simmons. Korra moves to Republic City to go after him following a brief encounter with Katara. Being taken in by Tenzin and meeting both Makio and Bolin before joining their pro-bending team. After sending, sorry, after saving Bolin and having her first sighting of Amon. Korra's romantic struggles lead to difficulty with the pro-bending team, which the group recovers from relatively successfully, win their match and make it to the finals. Where they are defeated, and Amon strikes with his group of followers, the Equalist. Korra afterward discovers Hiroshi Sato's, Sato's ties to the Equalist, Equalist. Then allowing Asami Sato, Bolin, and Mako to live with her. Forming a team with the group that Councilman Tarlock breaks up by arresting the others and revealing himself as a bloodbender in an encounter with Korra where he subdues her. She is locked in a secluded cab cabin that holds her for a short time before she breaks out once it is ambushed by Amon and the Equalist. The group launching an assault on Republic City that Korra and the others are empowered in, forcing them to retreat until General Iroh, voiced by a previous Z the Dante Basco, the Zuko character, and the United Forces come to the city as reinforcements, who are also overwhelmed. Following saving Tenzin and his children, and seemingly losing her bending of the three elements to Amon, Korra engages in a battle with Amon where she emerges victorious thanks to her airbending. Having the other elements restored by Aang and in doing so gaining the power to restore bending as well. 
this is the essential book one all in about you know a couple minutes so with saying that i will say that this felt very self-contained as a season and if they wanted to just end the series right then and there i wouldn't have been mad but i am really glad that we are getting more cora and that we are getting uh, a wider scope of just this world given that we stayed in republic city this entire season i think what this new series uh did well was expanding upon the world bringing us and entrenching us with a new uh aesthetic but yet still bringing the story that we knew and loved from the airbenders and uh and the the style of bending as well i mean all of these different bending styles have something unique about them i mean they have uh the cage fighting freeform style pro bending tournament uh water style island temple aikido style southern temple uh bagua style southern tribe yang style there's metal clan beifong style I, there's all these different types of uh fighting styles that all have to do correlate with the types of bending that they're doing it's really uh, awesome to learn about how much detail they put into just the types of choreography that you're watching they're not just throwing fists and punches they are actually performing martial arts in a lot of a lot of these um uh, fire nation longs fist style white lotus form uh intention fist style i mean it's all here it, it is insane um let me see what uh, yeah so oh my goodness yeah there, there's just so much that you could cover about this show I, it's impossible for me to talk about it in under an hour and i just don't have that time or energy <laughs> i need to just bend the podcast i need to be a podcast bender so i could just bend all these real quick and so i don't have to do them <laughs> i'm just like fucking so swamped oh my goodness but uh yeah i absolutely loved cora i uh i I can't say I loved it at first, but once the plot got going around episodes four or five and I saw the drastic stakes that we were working within and that, uh, you know, the side characters, the supporting characters were starting to become um, just as interesting as the main characters. That's what I loved about uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. That's what I'm looking for, a rich story with rich characters. Um, so, yeah, check out. Book One Air, The Legend of Korra series. I watched it on Netflix. I'm not sure when you'll be able to watch or when or where you're watching this. So you'll have to Google it, find it, do your own uh, uh, Legend of Korra research. But let me tell you, it's definitely worth the watch. But I would also say you need to watch the Avatar The Last Airbender before all of this. So it's definitely a great follow-up. So... Thank you for listening, watching The Legend of Korra Season 1, Book 1, Air uh, review. Let me know how I can improve. I'll try to take better notes for the Season 2. It, hopefully things won't be as swamped on my side. I just was trying to plow through this entire season just to kind of have it under my belt so I'd have knowledge of what was going on. It's sometimes overwhelming trying to jump into a new series. You're like, oh my god, 60 episodes or something like that? Well, there's... How many see, uh, episodes is this? Uh, like It was a little bit uh, daunting at first. Like 52 episodes. I was like, on top of the uh, Avatar, which was um, 66 episodes, 
I was like, this is a lot of episodes, but I are, I broke it down and I said, okay, so we have 52 episodes. That sounds like a lot, but if you break it down into how they aired it, they aired book one in about 10, uh, 10 weeks. And I think they did 11 and 12 on the same week. Um, but overall, essentially it comes down to like, what, like four and a half hours or something like that. It, it's, uh, for this first season, like that's really nothing you can you know get through that in a couple of days and so yeah very bingeable i think this series works much better on a binge i couldn't imagine watching this week to week oh my goodness so thank you for listening watching look at all podcast check out all the social medias at look at all podcast check in the show notes for all the descriptions and all the the good juicy details you can get in there um anything else that y'all would probably need to know for the next few episodes um this is probably going to be released in between a couple of movies and stuff like that we're trying to cover the mulan series we went back and checked out the 1995 mulan so we'll have a good uh refresh on how the two compare so Yes, if you like the Luck It All podcast, be sure to check out all the other Luck It All podcasts. We have more Netflix um, television coverage as well. I mean, we have that new Project Power that came out a few months ago as well. I actually had one or two good things to say about that, despite the craziness in it. Um, and what else do we have? Uh, the Umbrella Academy. Like I said, if you're on that Netflix flow, be sure to check out that. We have the full uh, Umbrella Academy season one and two coverage. Like we, we went deep with that shit, so you better go go check that shit out, man. Um, the aftercast you might see aftercast on the list on the uh, library you're like what the hell is an aftercast aftercast is what we talk about in between the podcast kind of non-entertainment related sometimes we talk about like major people that uh, have been by or something that has happened major in the news or something um, yes and uh, at the time I'm recording this actually uh, RBG Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed away so I just want to do a little um a couple sil- seconds of uh, silence for her. Hey, I said silence. Okay, so, um, yeah, she was a very influential person in um, our country, and so I, I can't say enough about her, and so I just want I want to leave it right there. Um, but yes, thank you for listening, watching Luck It All Podcast. Be sure to check out all the Luck It All Podcasts. Let me know how I can improve. If you want these podcasts early or live, check out Twitch for the live stream. Check out YouTube to get the podcast early. And then check out SoundCloud if you want the entire library. So we got three platforms on there. If you want to interact with the people that are um, behind the scenes like myself, Elias, and then we have some buddies, I have some friends, I have some, uh, we have followers, we have people that are in chat rooms and we're always talking about cool, unique stuff. Check out the Discord. Um, the Discord link is in the description. And um, yeah, be sure to email luckadollpodcast at gmail.com for comments, questions, concerns. Twitter at luckadollpodcast, Facebook, Facebook group is down below, Twitch link, Instagram, YouTube. Discord links are all down below. Thank you for listening, watching Luck It All Podcast. We cannot do this without you. Take it easy. I lied. I had a few more things come to my mind when I was typing in this last few um, edits. I was like, I 
didn't think the love section exactly worked 100 percent. i i i do think i was like yeah this is a great season yada 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 and i just there was a couple things that did bother me i will say the uh i love you at the end it's like wait wait wait, wait what it's like holy santa claus like that was a quick skip and i did feel like they kind of put asami to the side i was like ah dang you know i i didn't feel like Mako definitely felt like he had feelings for Korra and they kind of just kept developing developing them but I didn't feel like there was like a wedge between him and uh Asami to the point that he wanted to break up with her it was more like she was just getting upset for her I don't know for Mako being um worried for Korra during the time she was kidnapped and stuff like that I was like, uh, okay um like she has total like Mako has total reason to be it's like there's no reason to be jealous at this point so it, the the love story was a little bit choppy for me and I think a little bit quick there's ah and she loves him bye put a cherry on top bye <laughs> it's like oh wait what I love you wait uh I mean I, I I was in high school at one point too and I said I love you and I, I was ready to get married at one point I, I'll, I'll say that right now <laughs> and uh, so I do not disparage some of those, uh, you know, young loves out there, but Jesus, like, I didn't feel like there was nearly enough chemistry between them to be hitting out the I love you. So I was like, God dang. But, um, yeah, overall, I did think it was a nice, complete season and it worked for if we didn't get a season two or three, you know, like, uh, it, it worked as a contained season, you know, it's a nice, happy ending, a little bit fairy tale-ish, but, uh, it is it, whatever. And, um, and it looks like book two is going to happen a year after book one. So she'll be 18 in book two. So, uh, yes. Uh, let me see. All right. Thank you for listening, watching, plug it up, podcast. Thank you.